We find ourselves in a cultural moment when many people are easily angered and offended. Having a measured response or even forgiving an offense can be seen as weak. Outrage is not only morally acceptable, it is often applauded. And social media simply fuels this outrage and offense while news outlets capitalize on our eagerness to be angered and to place the blame on someone else. Well, into this cultural moment, followers of Jesus have an opportunity to embody something different. Jesus calls his followers to be peacemakers, not peace fakers, ignoring conflicts, stuffing things under the rug, And not peace breakers, adding to conflicts with our own outrage and offense, but peace makers. In his Beatitudes, Jesus blesses the peacemakers, promising that they will be called children of God. Why children of God? Because God, through his son Jesus Christ, is the original peacemaker. But lest we romanticize that, we remember that Jesus' greatest act of peacemaking involved his own death on a cross at the hands of his enemies. Peacemaking is difficult work. And perhaps one of the most difficult parts of peacemaking is to deal with ourselves because we are often part of the problem. It's easy to look out on others or look out on the culture and lament on what's going on out there, but the reason it's out there is because it's in here, in our own hearts. We are easily angered. We can be caught up in an outrage over an offense. We can get swept away by a conflict or disagreement or a hurt feeling. And so to be a peacemaker out there, to do any good out there, we must first learn to do it in here, to practice it for ourselves in our own relationship. Now, peacemaking is not a one-size-fits-all conversation. A Christian needs a lot of tools in her toolbox to deal with different kinds of situations. Today, I just want to look at one tool. It's more of an all-purpose tool, kind of like a hammer. It is the practice of overlooking an offense. Now, it is not a tool that can be used in all situations. Let me be clear about that. There are some offenses that should not simply be overlooked, and I'll say more about that in a moment. But for many of the everyday offenses that we encounter, overlooking can be a very powerful gospel response. So that's our framework for this morning. Let me pray And then we'll consider our text and topic. Jesus, we thank you that you modeled peacemaking and you made peacemaking possible through your work on the cross. Pray now that by your spirit you would teach us, but also give us homework this week to apply this in our own lives. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to be mad at me later for just asking for homework for you all. But you're going to get homework. So the text that I want to consider comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings. They're often very, very practical, very useful. They are, however, general principles for how life works best. They're not specific promises, 
And so they need to be applied with skill and discernment to various situations that we might face. So we had two Proverbs read this morning, uh, 17, 14, come back to that one, and then 19, 11. I want to focus on 19, 11. It says this, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So it starts with being slow to anger, because that is the precondition for overlooking an offense. It's very difficult to overlook something if you're boiling over with anger towards someone. So let me offer first a few thoughts about being easily angered or not being easily angered. And then second, we'll look at this practice of overlooking an offense. So anger is an emotional response to some sort of negative experience or interaction that we have. And anger is not always, all by itself, a sinful emotion. I would suggest that sometimes anger is the appropriate response But anger is such a powerful emotion that many human beings find it difficult to express in the right ways. Scripture doesn't tell us not to be angry, but not to sin in our anger, or to let our anger fester, or in the case of our proverb, it reminds us to be slow to anger. Now, our particular kind of anger we're thinking about here is that relational anger, not just, oh, I got stuck in traffic, or I'm angry about that, or I hit my head on the cabinet again. No, this is like something that happens in a relationship that brings about anger. So how do we deal with this? How do we become people who are slow to anger? Let me offer three brief suggestions. First, we need to deal with our anger in a healthy and safe way. And that begins by acknowledging that we are, in fact, angry. Peacemaking does not mean repressing that anger, but finding safe ways to deal with it. Today is Abraham Lincoln's birthday. The beginning of the 20th century, when his papers were opened, historians discovered many letters that were written by him but never sent. Lincoln called them hot letters. When he was angry at a colleague, he would write off a letter to vent all of his rage, but then he would put it away. When they found these letters later, at the bottom of them in his handwriting was a notation that said, never sent and never signed. Lincoln understood that his anger needed to be dealt with in a safe way. He expressed his feelings in writing, but he did not send it. A discipline from which many of us might benefit in our culture of instant communication. Before you hit that little blue arrow or that post button, take a breath. Ask yourself, is this something I need to say at this time or in this way? Maybe you don't. A few thousand years before Lincoln, another gifted leader embodied a similar healthy expression of anger. His name was King David. He addressed his anger to God in prayer. We have a record of it in the book of Psalms. Many of the Psalms are attributed to David, and they have some intense emotional content. The guy had many enemies. Have you ever read through the Psalms and been like, good gracious, I don't have that many enemies, but he did. And these enemies were doing him wrong, and he had a lot of reasons to be angry. He got angry wasn't afraid of his anger, and yet he expressed that anger, he prayed that anger to God instead of immediately venting it upon his enemies. Some people are born with a longer fuse, and God bless you if you have that gift. But for those of us who don't, 
We need to learn from people like Lincoln and David and find healthy ways to express our anger that don't do damage in relationships. So if you find yourself, find that anger rising within you in an encounter and conversation with a spouse or a child or a coworker, it is entirely okay to say, you know what, I, I need a little bit of time to sort through my feelings, to pray through some things. Can we come back to this in a little bit? That simple little phrase could save you hours of fighting down the road. So be emotionally self-aware. Know when your anger is rising. Buy yourself some time. Take a walk. Sit with a pen and pad and write out your feelings. Talk to God. Pray to God about your anger. All kinds of healthy ways to deal with it instead of venting it upon another person. A second suggestion to cultivate slowness of anger, remember your own faults. You see, when we are upset, when we are offended, we lose all perspective. We tend to maximize the faults of another person and minimize or completely ignore our own faults or our own contributions to a conflict. Jesus understood this about human nature. And so he offered a brilliant and practical illustration. This is the log and the speck from Matthew chapter 7, if you'd like to read more. In short, he tells us that instead of maximizing the faults of the other person, what should we do? Maximize our own faults. Think about the fault of the other person as a speck of sawdust in their eye and treat your own faults and your own shortcomings like a two-by-four sticking out of your face. Spend some time on the two-by-four, Jesus says, before you get so hyper-focused on that speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye. Now, if you've given yourself a little bit of time earlier, you've stepped away, you've taken a breath, then you'll have the space to do this kind of work to look at yourself, to consider your faults. But I will tell you that to do this, it takes a humble heart. And some of us, particularly when we're offended, when we're upset, we don't want to be humble. We don't want to look at ourselves. And yet that lack of humility can be disastrous in a relationship. If that's you, if you know that you struggle with that, to look at your own faults, then ask God for help. Ask him to help you humble yourself to be willing to admit your shortcomings. Because friends, if you don't humble yourself, he will. James says God opposes the proud. You don't want God opposing you. He opposes the proud, but but he gives grace to the humble. Third suggestion for being slow to anger, remember God's character. Remember God's character. There are genuine wrongs in this world, and you may legitimately be wronged or offended by another person, but outrage and anger is not always the most virtuous response. God is the lawgiver. He is the author of justice. He is perfect in every way, and therefore he has more reason to be offended and angry than anyone. And yet we are told repeatedly in Scripture that God is slow to anger. That is such a good thing for us, that he is. And so ask yourself, is your offense for which you feel totally justified in responding with anger, is it greater than all of the offenses against God? 
He has every reason to fully vent his anger upon humanity, and yet he is slow to anger. Remember his character. And so we begin there with cultivating this posture and this practice of being slow to anger. But then the proverb tells us about the second part, which is to overlook an offense. Now, as I noted, there are times when an offense should not be overlooked. It should be appropriately confronted. And there's a whole other biblical process for godly confrontation. But what are some examples of this, of things that should not be overlooked? Well, certainly extreme offenses or injustices. So physical or verbal abuse is not something to simply be overlooked. Another type of offense that should not be overlooked is if the wrong is doing serious damage to that person or to you or to someone else. So if you discover that a coworker has lied to a customer in order to close a deal, it's not something you want to overlook because it will do damage to the customer, the company, and your coworker. So there are situations in which this tool is not appropriate. But there's a lot of offenses, sort of those everyday ones, those encounters we have that would fall into this category. And the proverb says it is our glory to overlook that offense. In other words, it is to our greatest advantage to practice this overlooking. Now, let's be clear that overlooking is not excusing a wrong. It's not saying that something is not offensive. Rather, overlooking is an active response of choosing to forgive the offense without conversation or confrontation. Let me say that again. Overlooking is not excusing an offense, but choosing to forgive it without conversation or confrontation. And it is an incredibly powerful response. This is not weakness. This is power. It takes a whole lot more self-control and discipline and power to check your anger, to overlook, than it does to just vent and to simmer and explode and let all those things come out. And so God has actually given us the ability to let some things go. He has given us His grace and His mercy, and He's allowed us to practice that in our relationships as well. And as you do practice this, as many of you can attest, it brings so much freedom. It brings so much peace into our lives. Now, when we overlook an offense, it does mean that it is forgiven, which means you're not storing it up as ammunition for a later time. That's not overlooking. That's what Scripture calls keeping a record of wrongs. Overlooking is striking the offense from the record, intentionally choosing not to dwell on it and to not bring it up again. Overlooking also means not talking to other people about it. I'm not going to go talk to five friends and say, well, so-and-so offended me, but I'm choosing to overlook it. <laughs> if you need to talk to five friends about it, you're not overlooking it. Let me offer a few more practical suggestions to help with this practice, because it sounds easy, but it's not easy when you're in the moment, is it? So first one, if you need some motivation to practice overlooking, be practical. Some things are simply not worth fighting about. Consider the time and energy that would be required if you choose to make a big deal out of something or confront that person or start this path of relational conflict. 
This is the other proverb that we had read this morning, 1714. It says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. So imagine a dam of water. You, you take a few bricks out, and before long, the whole dam could break, and you have this major rush of conflict and anger and hurt feelings on your hands. And so God is giving us the ability to stop those downstream consequences by simply overlooking the offense. It is such a practical response. It saves you so much time and energy. A second suggestion is that you get to stop the internal debate. What do I mean by that? Well, when you're offended by someone, do you spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, why was I offended? And should I have been offended? And why did they do that? And was I really wrong or were they wrong? And you're kind of going over it again and again in your head. It's a very natural response, right? But if you choose to overlook it, guess what you get to do? You get to shortcut that whole process. You can stop that eternal debate because you don't need to do it. You don't need to know why you were offended or whether it was legitimate or not. You can simply say, well, I feel offended and that's enough. And so I'm going to overlook it. I'm going to apply that grace and mercy. And then you can let it go and save all that great mental space for something else. Now, if you choose to confront the person or you want to make a big deal out of the person, you probably will need to go through that process. You'll need to understand, well, why was I offended? And should I have been offended? And was it an offense? And how am I going to talk to them about that? Sometimes that's necessary, right? There are times for godly confrontation, but it takes a lot of time and energy. And so if you can overlook, then you get to stop all of that internal debate and just rest in grace for yourself and for that other person. A third suggestion, discipline your emotions. You're not always going to feel like overlooking something. Even if you've successfully controlled your anger, you may still feel angry or hurt or annoyed. And again, those emotions are real. You don't need to pretend they're not there. They are there. But don't allow those emotions to stop you from overlooking the offense if that would be the most beneficial thing to do. Don't say to yourself, well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to. I think the better approach is to exercise your will, even if it feels in conflict with your emotions, and then ask God to bring your emotional response in line, to heal it, to give you peace. You might have to do that multiple times. But forgiveness and overlooking is an act of the will. It's not a feeling. The feeling of relief and peace and grace comes after you walk in obedience, not before. So don't ignore your emotions, but don't allow them to dictate your response. Discipline your emotions. Last suggestion, and I will end with this. Remember God's forgiveness and mercy towards you. This is Colossians 3, our third reading, where Paul writes, If one has a complaint against another... Forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Paul does just what Jesus did. He grounds our practice of forgiving other people in God's forgiveness of us. Because the most illogical thing in the universe, friends, is for a Christian to be unforgiving. We have been forgiven so much, we are expected to practice being graceful and being forgiving. Think about how many sins you commit each day that you're not even aware of. 
ways that you maybe offended somebody unknowingly or offended God. If you need some help with that, just think, go over a particular day and say, did I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength this day? Did I love my neighbor as well as I love myself? And the answer is usually no. But does God bring up each and every little incident of your shortcomings, of your failure to love well, of your offenses? Mercifully, he does not. That would completely overwhelm us. We wouldn't do anything else but just sit there and confess and confess all day long. The Holy Spirit brings particular conviction for certain sins, but he doesn't tell us all of our offenses all the time. God overlooks so many of our offenses. He applies his grace. And if he is like that with us, how much more so should we be like that with other people? Last few Sundays, we've talked about the cross. Steve focused on it last week, the week before that, I talked about it. We often talk about the cross as the power to heal our relationship with God, to restore us, to forgive us, and it is that. But you'll notice the cross has those two parts. This is always helps me remember it. It has that one vertical part, restoring and renewing our relationship with God, but it also has the horizontal part, that other beam, and that reminds us that the cross has power this way too having healed our relationship with God, then it gives us this incredible power and this incredible resource to then go and to make peace and to extend forgiveness to other people. So if you need some help, if you need some power, if you need some reminder of how it is I can walk this out in my life, sit with the Lord, remember his grace, remember how much he has forgiven you, and then ask him for the help to extend that outwards to others. Let's pray. And so, Father, we do thank you that in Jesus, you made peace with us. You didn't have to, but you did because you loved us. And I would ask for myself and for others, Lord, that this day and this week, as we have those opportunities to choose to be offended or to overlook, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us grace, and that you would help us to walk in this path of peace. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.